Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Today, most of us would be familiar with the traditional gaming experience which involves playing games on consoles or PCs, and that has been the norm for decades. Now, it offers a unique experience allowing gamers to own physical copies of their favorite games and play them without an internet connection. Here's the catch, though. The graphics and performance of traditional games largely depend on the capabilities of the hardware. And it's worth noting that the need for constant hardware upgrades to keep up with the latest games can be very costly. But what if I told you today that you can now play your favorite games directly from the cloud, eliminating the need for high-end hardware or physical copies of games? Well, that's exactly what we're going to discuss today with Mark Ryden, the co-founder and CEO at Ether. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing today? Good morning, Dad. I'm great. How are you? Good. Myself, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Now, before we get into what exactly you guys do, uh, I want to talk and set the tone for this interview and talk about the gaming industry in which you are heavily involved in. Now, first off, do you play any games? I do, I do. Not as much as I would like to play, mm-hmm. but uh, I was a big World of Warcraft fan back in the day. Ah. I'm a massive Counter-Strike fan. Wow, yeah, that's the classic. That's the classic. Thanks for that, Mark. Now, the gaming experience has come a long way since its early days and graphics are now more realistic, resolutions are higher, games run more smoothly thanks to more powerful processing powers as well. So maybe talk to us about what you're seeing in the state of the Web 2 and Web 3 gaming today. Sure, I think in general, gaming is uh, a pretty exciting industry, right? And yeah. we're seeing a, a huge amount of, of great titles being released on, on a regular basis. As, a, as an industry, it's struggling a little bit at the moment, right? So revenue in the gaming industry has been down two years in a row, essentially since coming out of COVID, right? We all had a lot of spare time during COVID. We all downloaded games. We've played a lot. Mm. Uh, but since then, spending on games has been, has been really dropping um, as a result of us really having more activities available. Additionally, I think uh, inflation's been ramping up consistently worldwide, and there's this belief that in-game spending is a little bit more frivolous than it was before. So I think industry-wise, gaming is is struggling a little bit, mm. right? But uh, we're really looking as an industry to find a way to solve that. And really, adoption of games in, in alternate markets is one of the key ways we can do that. Mm, interesting. All right. Thanks for that, Mark. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the distinction between the Web 3 and Web 2 games as well, because Web 3 games, compared to their Web 2 counterparts, offer a revolutionary gaming experience thanks to their decentralized, transparent, and player-centric nature. And it's led to many to believe that the Web 3 will outperform and maybe eventually replace Web 2 gaming then. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think Web 3 gaming has this really interesting value proposition for, for gamers, right? Um, let's, take, let's take the approach of you know, World of Warcraft or, or Counter-Strike, for example, both mm. games that I really enjoy. You spend a huge amount of time in these games, right? You, you Maybe you have a character in the World of Warcraft perspective. You have a character that you level up. You get equipment, you get armor. You mm. kind of fall in love with the story and the legend that's created in this game, mm. right? One of the big issues with games like this is that customer, the player, doesn't actually own or have direct access to these items that they've spent this time generating and, and now feel like they own in-game, mm. right? Now, what's happened traditionally or previously is that there's this kind of black market that's been established, right? People selling items on eBay, people selling items 
uh, in-game um, to, to kind of buyers and sellers. And this is against really the SLAs of, of most games, right? Mm. What Web3 does and what games in the Web3 sector do is really build titles around ownership of these in-game items, mm. really allowing users to create characters and experiences that they feel that their investment has value for, right? So if you're someone who, who wants to play a game and maybe spend a lot of time generating these assets, you now have generated like a real world value, wow. right? That sword that you've established, right, or that you've, you've looted, yeah. you can now maybe sell that if you want when your character levels up, mm. right? You can gain that reward from, um, from the time you spend in the game. And, and that's kind of really important because at the moment, there's this disconnect really between the emotion and the inherent or intrinsic value that a player has mm. for their character and their ability to kind of recognize that on the market, particularly as they uh, grow and develop in the game. Right. Ownership, that's a big takeaway I'm, I'm taking from here. Thanks a lot for that, Mark. Now, let's talk, now that we're on the topic of gaming, we'll have to bring in the core master power that's keeping it alive and running. And that's the graphics processing unit, or GPU for short. And it's also the very reason why we're experiencing the magic of AI and its potentiality as well. No, but while the best gaming GPUs are made to handle graphics settings that can result in varying visual quality and frames per second, GPU and rendering bottlenecks still exists today. So talk to us about some of the global rendering bottlenecks that you're seeing and how is it affecting the overall user experience? Yeah, this is a a great question. And I think it really starts at the the supply side. So traditionally, companies like NVIDIA, which provide the majority of GPUs to the global market, Mm. have been a very gaming-focused company, right? Um, However, very intelligently so, they were also simultaneously ensuring that their chips were kind of the chips that were best suited to develop and train AI applications, Mm. right? And as you would have seen very recently, we've experienced this massive boom in the AI sector, right? And as a result, that's been pulling demand and pulling uh, supply actually away from a lot of these gaming uh, markets and made the ability to access this hardware a little bit more expensive Mm. and and more difficult in, in general. So what we're really seeing is this inability or this increase in cost to access the hardware necessary to, to render and experience games. And that's, that's a really difficult problem. Because when you think about gaming, you, you, you want it to be a content experience. Yeah. You want people to make the choice to play a game based on the game that they enjoy, the game that kind of tickles their fancy the most. You don't want them having to make that decision based on the hardware that they have yeah. or the hardware they can afford. And this, this rendering bottleneck is something, again, that we're, we're actively trying to solve at Aether. Mm, interesting. Are there any other cons- constraints to personal GPU ownership that you see? The biggest is that, I guess, like you mentioned earlier, there's this, first of all, there's this arms race, yeah. right? This, this chipset arms race, right? Every time... Uh, a new chip is released, games will be optimized for that chip, right? Yeah. Leaving behind the chips that previous owners and previous gamers currently have access to, mm-hmm. right? And and as these games over-optimize for that chip, a new chip will be released. And this this kind of, this the rising sea of access uh, for games continues to, to kind of go up and it's not getting any cheaper. Mm-hmm. And this means that 
Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be a pathway for onboarding people that currently can't participate. That's a massive issue. I see. Thanks a lot for that, Mark. Now then, on the topic of GPU as well, and it's like what you rightly mentioned, you know, more than money, engineering talent, hype, or even profits as well. Tech companies this year, they are desperate for GPUs. And it's essentially kicked off because of the establishment of online chatbots like ChatGPT, is setting off a wave of excitement over AI that's leading the entire tech industry to pile on and creating a shortage of chips as well. So share with us, what does the GPU scarcity also mean for AI cloud resources then? Yes, AI, they have a little bit of a, a specific issue. And that is that the infrastructure needed to deploy GPU resources really falls into two separate categories for AI. So if, if you'll allow me to kind of explain what the current cloud infrastructure looks like. Yeah. Uh, it's very storage and CPU heavy. If we look at AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, they're very CPU and storage heavy services, right? Great at storing photos, accessing data, right? And um, incredibly good at kind of enterprise software solutions. However, when we take a look at AI, AI runs best on NVIDIA chips. And we know that we need to add NVIDIA chips to the cloud so that we can scale AI effectively. Mm. However, there's two ways that we need to add AI to the cloud. One is for what we call training, right? And the other is for what we call inference. So training is the development of AI. You would have seen the ChatGPT 3, and then it kind of, they trained it up, and then it was ChatGPT 4. This training is kind of the, the main race that the large AI companies are running at the moment. And that's where I would say 99% of GPU resources in the cloud are being deployed. Mm. However, this is kind of a little bit of a um, an issue because as these AI companies start to release the, the application level of their AI models, right, the mm-hmm. things that they've trained and now they want to deploy in the market, yeah. this, is, this is called inference. And that's a totally separate infrastructure requirement and one that current infrastructure and current GPU clouds don't actively support. Mm. So there's a, there's a big issue here, not just with the scarcity of these GPUs themselves, but also how we're deploying them. Mm. And uh, currently, we're, we're really not yet ready to, um, to help scale the application side, the inference side of AI that's coming out of all of these models that are being trained. Wonderful. Fascinating. Thank you so much for the comprehensive breakdown of the AI cloud space as well. Now, speaking of cloud, as mentioned earlier, now at Athia, you are building scalable, decentralized cloud infrastructure for gaming and AI and also making complex latency-dependent cloud infra more accessible. Now, that's a lot of jargon right there. So, help us out here. What is the concept of decentralized cloud infrastructure all about and how is it transforming the cloud computing industry? It is a little bit of a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll bring it back to, to what, what we deliver to, to our customers, right? Okay. So our gaming customers, what we deliver them is a cloud gaming solution, right? And for those of you that maybe don't know, cloud gaming is a pretty cool technology, right? It allows any user to access any game on any device. You don't need to buy the latest phone or gaming PC to access the newest and best game. Really, any old device can be used as a high-end gaming wow. PC. Now, how this actually works in the cloud is essentially we put high-powered PCs in the cloud and we install the game on those PCs. 
Mm-hmm. Right? So the games are actually running and processing uh, on the PCs in the cloud as opposed to the user's device. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we stream the game to the user in this interactive kind of video format. It's like an interactive YouTube video, right? So essentially, any device that can watch YouTube can play any game mm-hmm. instantly. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue with this technology, similar to the way that uh, I talked about training versus inference, it takes a lot of work to deliver the GPU resources needed to process that game and deliver it to a user in real time. Now, that's previously been addressed via uh, adjustments to kind of business models, but it's yeah. really a core infrastructure problem that needs to, be, needs to be fixed. And the biggest issue is how close can you get your hardware? So we talk about this gaming PC in the cloud. Yeah. How close can we get that hardware to a user, right? Because the closer we can get it to the user, the lower the latency, the quicker the experience that the user has access to. So what we've essentially built, this decentralized or distributed cloud infrastructure, is really a cloud infrastructure solution that mimics kind of an edge computing solution. Mm-hmm. And we have a large number of smaller independent nodes because we actually allow people to buy in, right? We allow them to buy and own a piece of that infrastructure mm-hmm. in the same way that if you, I don't know, if you went to Google and you said, hey, Google, you have this incredible cloud infrastructure solution. It makes a huge amount of money. Can I buy a server and can you run it for me and give me a cut, mm-hmm. right? They're going to they're gonna tell you no way. But that's exactly what we do, right? Mm. And by doing that, we encourage smaller, more independent standing up of these kind of mini data centers, which means as our network grows, the likelihood that a user is going to be really close to one of our kind of smaller local data centers is, is really increasing over time. So we're solving this huge infrastructure issue, which is, how do we get our hardware closer to a user uh, in a really, really unique and cost-effective way? Wow, scalability, that's been taken to a whole new level. Thanks a lot for that, Mark. No, I also like to, to bring this up about, you know, how decentralized cloud computing is, which leverages, as you mentioned, on blockchain technology, is helping to address issues that's prevalent in centralized cloud computing as well. Can you share a little bit more on that? Yeah, so there's really three big issues when you talk about centralized cloud computing, right? One is the cost. It's it's incredibly expensive. You have a huge amount of hardware that you need to stand up in advance of serving your users, mm. right? And as we talked about, scarcity of the GPUs, scarcity of the servers, already more expensive than it was in the past, and it doesn't look like that cost is coming down anytime soon. Yeah. On top of that, you have this massive ongoing operational and maintenance cost that you really need to kind of manage. And as a result, you have to pass that cost on to to someone somewhere, right? Which generally means quite an expensive service. So that's a big issue that uh, centralized cloud solutions have. The second is that because of that cost, they're really difficult to scale into uh, developing market, Mm. right? And if we take cloud gaming as as an example, Mm. where would cloud gaming have the most value? It would have the most value in the market where users have low-end devices, right? There's no point really in scaling cloud gaming in a market where everyone already has PS5s and, you know, $3,000 gaming PCs. Mm. So traditional cloud really struggles to enter these markets because they know they have such an expensive business model. And then finally, the, the speed and the performance. As a result of that cost, what generally happens is these data centers, these big cloud providers, they'll put all of their equipment under one roof, mm. right? Because that's the most cost-effective way to do it. Yeah. But as a result, then you only really have one point of service for a very large region, which mm. means if you're not lucky enough to live right near that 
that data center, your performance is going to be poor when you're accessing that network. Right. So these are three inherent infrastructure issues that mm. traditional cloud is, is massively impacted by. I now, see. we have this really great opportunity, right? Because what we can do is we can build a network where individual participants are providing the hardware, yeah. right? So we have this low CapEx model that's really highly efficient, right? Because we don't have the maintenance, we don't have the upkeep, we don't have the operational cost associated with it, and we also don't have that high upfront cost of purchasing all the hardware ourselves. Right. This means that the ecosystem cost, the cost of service is low enough that we can scale it. So we're scaling through Latin America at the moment. We're scaling through Southeast Asia. Yeah. We're hoping to, to scale and enter into India later this year. So it's super, super exciting having a technology in the cloud infrastructure space that isn't impacted by the scalability issue. And then mm-hmm. finally, as I kind of mentioned before, as a result of this kind of lack of incentive to kind of clump all of your hardware in one location, mm-hmm. what we're seeing is a much greater frequency of smaller nodes appearing uh, across the regions that we have entered, which means essentially as we grow in a region, these nodes increase in frequency, which means the likelihood that we can provide a local faster service to a user is increasing over time. But interestingly as well, the closer the user is to a node, the cheaper it is for us to deliver service to them. So actually, as we get faster, we get cheaper. So it's it's a really, really cool infrastructure solution to a really inherent intrinsic issue um, Mm. that traditional cloud faces. Interesting. Thanks a lot for that, Mark. Now, then let's talk about the caveats of this then. I mean, we've talked about how DCI offers great scalability, increased privacy, reliability, and cost efficiency as well. What other challenges does this infrastructure face in a fight to win users over from, let's say, Google Cloud, AWS, and other centralized cloud giants then? So I think, first off, if we talk about the stickiness uh, of a of a solution, if we talk about the stickiness of a of a service, cloud is probably one of the stickiest services or infrastructures that a company will buy into. Right. right? It's very, very difficult to extract a company that's invested a huge amount of time and development into building their solution on mm. AWS, for example. Mm. So that's a massive issue. But the way that we kind of look at it is we're actually providing a solution that these current incumbents can't really do. Mm. Right? It's not just more cost effective. It's actually a totally different solution in general. We're kind of looking this one step ahead at, okay, when the AI, uh, when the AI models are a little bit more mature, when the market is a little bit more mature, yeah. what is the infrastructure these guys are going to need? Mm. Uh, and that's kind of what we're building, mm. right? And the same goes for, for gaming. So I'd, I'd say there's definitely a challenge with the stickiness of the infrastructure itself. Yeah. I think anytime you're building a marketplace, And you can kind of think of us like a compute marketplace, right? We have participants that that buy hardware and contribute it to our network. And then we have on the other side, uh, our customers are looking for demand, um, sorry, looking for the supply of that that resource, and we kind of match them. Now, Mm. any marketplace always has this kind of chicken and the egg uh, solution (laughs) in the beginning, right? How do you get users? without the hardware, but how do you convince these hardware providers to join yeah. when you don't have users? So that was a, a big challenge that we, um, that we faced in the beginning, mm. uh, but we really were able to thankfully raise 
um, an amount of capital and, yeah. and kickstart a lot of this infrastructure ourselves, yeah. which is which has been great. But uh, I mm. think the the sorry, just the final issue is really mm. security. So obviously we have a distributed series of of boxes and servers owned by different people. We really need to convince our customers mm. that even though those boxes aren't necessarily owned by us. The data that's inside them is secure. Fantastic. I mean, we talk about it, like look at it earlier this year. I mean, Aether completed its pre-A founding round on July the 26th. That's bringing the total value raised today to more than $9 million and the company's valuation to $150 million. That's really, really impressive numbers there, Mark. Now, I have to ask you this question. Can you share with us what's on your future roadmap and your outlook for DCI Gaming as well as A? Yeah, definitely. So for us, we are very, very focused on building out uh, and serving the customers we already have, right? We really want to continue to deliver a, an exceptional experience to them. We're looking to reach out to a couple of uh, select industry partners as we kind of enter a more public phase of our service offering, which is, which is also very exciting for us. But I would say the key, the key milestone for us in the next quarter is our uh, token generation event. I mean, we're a, we're a Web3 company, so we have a token. Uh, so our token will go live. And that um, going live event is essentially what signals the full deployment of our uh, decentralized infrastructure network to the point where individuals can now come in and start purchasing access to the infrastructure that, uh, that provides that compute service to our global set of customers. Wow. Mark, it's been such a fascinating interview with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I've been speaking with Mark Ryden, the co-founder and CEO of Aether, discussing decentralized cloud infrastructure and how it is addressing some of the needs of gaming and AI companies and how cloud gaming is revolutionizing the gaming experience for users all around the world. Continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.